get to take the whole family, um, and before the week's over, the entire family will be up at Lake Arrowhead with us in a cabin. So we may not be talking to each other next Sunday. But uh, no, I'm looking so forward to this, just getting away. Um, the only bummer is the golf course three minutes away from me, I can't play there just because I'm not a member. Um, and the one thing I did, I did tell the person I left in charge is like, you know what? You won't be able to get a hold of me. The cell service is spotty. And uh, so I look forward to a nice, quiet week. Well, this morning we're going to head back and look at the rest of chapter 28 in, in, in this chapter. Go back and finish everything. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 13. And we saw God talking to his people in Judah through his prophet Isaiah. And remember, he started, he started chapter 28 with an open-ended question. And remember, I said this is something that your parent may have said to you or you said to your kids if you're in that situation. We're like, do you want to be like your cousins? Do you want to be like those problem children? Do you want to be anything like them? And, and we know what happened to their cousins, the, the northern kingdom. They were destroyed, completely destroyed, by the Assyrian army. The northern kingdom had forgotten God. Um, they took their eyes off him. They lived for themselves. They followed their own man-made gods. And, and they developed this deep pride, it tells us, in their own abilities. Such a deep pride that it was like they were drunk on it. So Isaiah, Isaiah told Judah, you know, you can be like them. You can head down this same path unless you seek God and follow his commands. And how they answer, we saw in, in 9 and 10, right? We saw that they, were, they sat in their filth, completely covered in their filth, and they mocked God. With, with little baby noises. And King Hezekiah had just, he had just formed an alliance with Egypt to ensure that, you know, when Assyria came to pay him back for breaking the alliance that his father had made, that Egypt would protect them from Assyria. And what were they doing? So when Isaiah spoke to them, they were pretty much in party mode. And they were party mode because they didn't want to offend Egypt. They didn't mind offending God, but they didn't want to offend Egypt. And, and they were, so they were celebrating with Egypt's God. And, and that, that celebrating required the most base, the most, I think as my granddaughters would say, the most disgusting uh, form of human behavior. You could say, you could say that this celebration, because I went through and read it, because I'm in Deuteronomy in one of the, the books of the Bible I'm going through, you could say they broke almost all the Ten Commandments. I think King David has the record for his thing with Uriah and Bathsheba, but they got pretty close. So they were guilty right now at this time, they were guilty of not trusting God for their security and seeking the security of man. 
And we know, because we can look ahead, we know man did not save them from the Assyrians. Um, Hezekiah humbled himself as they were being taunted and destroyed by the Assyrians, and he sought God, and we see 185,000 Assyrians were taken out by God. Judah was protected by God, not Egypt. So where are we going today? We're going to look at verses 14 through 29, and we can break them down this way. We can see that verses 14 through 19, verses 14 through 19, we're going to call the security that failed. 14 through 19, the security that failed. 20 and 22 is a strange sight. A strange sight. 23 through 29, based on the open-ended question we, we started with, we're going to see and end with another question. Another question. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we see you even in Isaiah. Spectacular as it is that, you know, you had not appeared yet in your human form. And we see you spoken of, mentioned, and brought forth all in this book, 700 years before you would come to earth. We thank you so much for just this picture of you throughout the Old and New Testament. You truly are our salvation. May we be humbled when we see this, that you chose us. Um, and may we just want to get to know you more. We love you so much. Amen. So 14 through 29 says, Therefore, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule the people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through, by day and by night. And it will be a sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. 
For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, in the valley of Gibeon he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow the ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put wheat in its rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with the threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, and dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counselor and excellent in wisdom. So let's go through this. 14 through 19. The security that failed. The security that failed. In verse 12, Isaiah reminded, reminded these leaders that only in God is rest found. Only in God is rest found. But he points out at the end of verse 12 what? He said, they will not hear. And, and rest here is an interesting concept. And where else do we see this in the Old Testament? We see it in Deuteronomy, right? God told his people through Moses that they would find rest in the land he was taking them and giving this land to him. A land, he said, flowing with milk and honey. But we know it was a land also that was filled with homes and mature crops and beasts. I mean, they had everything. They will be able to come in. They wouldn't have to start construction. They wouldn't have to start planting crops. They had it. They had it. Here they would find rest. And what happened? Many of them chose not to be obedient. God is telling us this now. Trust in him and we will enter in his rest. Today it looks differently, and ultimately that rest is going to be in heaven. But what do we do? We hear, listen to it, and like that first song said that was so aptly picked out, we have our own agenda. We hear, but we're not obedient. We fall into our same routines, a routine of not being obedient to God and his commands. God says we praise him with our lips, but not with our actions. And in fact, Matthew 15, 8 cites what will probably go over next week, Isaiah 29, 13. And he says, this people honors me with his lips, but their heart is far from me. 
So that's why I want to make sure we're looking at today. Are you like the people here? Do you honor God with just your lips, but your actions, your deeds, and your speech prove your heart is far from him? The Israelites who were allowed to enter into Canaan saw a great adventure. You can only imagine that. God performed miracle after crazy miracle, emptying the land and opening up for them. And they got to see all these promises they've heard about come true. And that's the thing that we should be doing. We should be living in great anticipation of that one day when our great adventure begins in heaven. We want to stop following into a routine. We want to start evaluating how we praise and worship God and make sure we get stronger and stronger. I mean, one thing that reminded me was going through the book by Francis Chan, You and Me Forever, and looking at it as couples. We are to spur one another on to grow deeper in our faith because at one time, coming up soon, and we don't know how soon, we're going to stand face-to-face with Jesus, face-to-face. And when we're doing that, it's not going to be a conversation. It's not going to be a debate. It's going to be an end result. It's going to be an evaluation of how we did. So it's not of any great comfort to us that the great lawyer F. Lee Bailey passed away this week because he will not do us any good. We can't just say, you know what, I want that dead lawyer. He can come and plead my case to God as I'm standing before him. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. He's going to be in no position to argue how good we were when we face God. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we put away our own idle speech. Spur our families on to a deeper relationship with Christ and ourselves truly desire to know him and grow deeper in him. In verse 14, verse 14, let's take a look at this. Isaiah, through God, calls these people scoffers. Scoffers. A scoffer means a person only interested in their own self-interest and their arrogance. What an image this is. A people in God's city only interested in themselves and not caring about all God has to offer. He says these scoffers are over the people. And in verse 15, we see they, pre- they feel pretty safe, right? And they're safe and secure because of this newly signed covenant they have with Egypt. But Isaiah tells them, you don't have a covenant with Egypt. You have a covenant with death. And Isaiah, being a very gifted writer, a very advanced writer, he is playing with their minds because he's playing with their words right here. The Egyptian goddess of death we went over last week. They were worshiping in this, in this scene that we see. Her name was Mutt. M-U-T. And the word for death in Hebrew is very close. So while Egypt, 
this Egypt goddess, Mut, was a goddess of death. The word for death in Hebrew sounds very similar to M-U-T. It's M-W-T, pronounced almost the same. So Isaiah is telling them, the agreement you made was indeed with death. So they thought when the Assyrian army comes, or it says here, the scourge, they'll be safe. You're not going to bother them. So Isaiah points out to this people who not too long ago were calling him simple and making those baby noises at him. And he tells them, now you are exposed for the simple and wrong thoughts that they had. Isaiah says, you know, you, you are false in your belief that you are safe and secure. And what happened to this people? Just like people today, right? They have lied so much that now they're believing the lies themselves as fact. They're saying, we're all fine. It's all good, all the while ignoring the Word of God that's standing and speaking right in front of them. Like I said last week, and it's a simple phrase that probably would have offended them if Isaiah said it. Because he said it to a king also in, in chapter 7. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Simple truth, but so hard to follow. Verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. I know Al probably hates the fact that he missed this. He loves this verse. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible here. Um, and it's, here is the answer how we are to be firm in our faith. Isaiah starts verse 16 with the word, therefore. It is meant to repeat the points made in verse 14. 14 says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And 16 says, thus says the Lord. God here is showing us his sovereignty, his complete control and rule by stating, Behold, I am the one, it's me, I am the one who has laid a foundation stone in Zion. The foundation stone ultimately being Jesus Christ. And it says this foundation stone was tested. Guess what? Jesus was also tested by Satan and by man. So we see the ultimate truth in that statement. It also says this foundation stone, Jesus, is precious. And just going to a normal dictionary to look up that word so we get it, it says, of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. Out of the mouth of a secular dictionary. Incredible. And Christ is this. He is precious because He is our only way to the Father. To get to this great adventure, 
we must be seeking. And Jesus is a sure foundation. While we know the created is a not a sure foundation, and it's going to burn. We see in Isaiah 8.10, Isaiah 8.10, we see Jesus will both be the stone of offense and a rock of stumbling for both houses of Israel. And here is a picture again in 8.10. The people will be broken, snared, and taken. And what does he say at the end of 16? He says, whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So we know Hezekiah canceled that alliance that his father had made with Assyria. And once it was done, once that was canceled, what did they do? They hurried, haste, they hurried to go make that alliance with Egypt so they'd be safe because they knew Assyria would not take this lying down. They would come back to get their city. Verse 16 tells us that if they believed God and followed his commands, they would have avoided being taken and would not be scurrying little scoffers, but instead they would be secure in the knowledge that their God would protect them as he said he would. We see the true security in God, which they failed to trust in, and we now see fragile alternatives that man chooses to believe in. So we need the true security in God. 17 says, And I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Here God is dealing with these people for the lies they believe in that we saw in verse 15. Because we know God can only deal in justice. He can only deal in justice. And he will be measuring Judah for their actions. And we know he deals in justice because just by looking at God taking his people from Egypt to the land of Canaan, those 80 years, what he had to deal with and what he did. <clears throat> we know it took 40 years for them to get to the entrance of the promised land. And once there, it took another 40 years to deal justly with the people who didn't believe God. Because remember, he took him in. He sent 12 spies out to the land. 12 of them. Two came back. Two came back and said, this is going to be great. This is awesome. It's great. They brought back some of the crop. Said, look how awesome this is. Let's go do it. While 10 of them sat there wringing their hands, afraid. What did God do? He said, fine. This generation can pass away. And then we'll go in just leaving Caleb and Joshua. So I often wonder if those two had a checklist and just kept walking around looking, okay, who's left? Who's left before we can go in? And, and just look, counting down all the ones that passed away before they could get a time to go in. 18 and 19. 
then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through. By day and by night, and it will be a sheer terror to understand the message. So God right now is going to take them point by point through the contradiction they have. He's going to take them through what their beliefs are, and he's going to take them through what his beliefs and what gives them confidence. Again, the word play is in action here. When he says your covenant with mut or mut will not stand, Egypt will not be able to take care of you. They said in verse 15 that, you know what? This scourge will pass by because it's not going to bother us because of our overwhelming great human actions that we put in place. And then in verse 18, God says, when the overwhelming scourge does come through, you're going to have nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. You're going to be beaten down to it. Okay, you ready for this? There was a song written by Lamont Dozier and sums it up best. They're not being able to get away from this scourge when it takes place. The singers of the song that he, that he wrote said it best. They say, there is nowhere to run to baby, nowhere to hide. You got, got, nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide. So the people mocked this rest that God was giving them in verse 12. And now they have simply embraced a message of terror. And the message is going to come to them over and over, and they will be beaten down. And this is what happened when Assyria came. We know that Assyria didn't get inside Jerusalem, but you know, the unwalled cities, the suburbs of Jerusalem, took this beating by Assyria. They had no protection. They were constantly being annihilated and stuff taken. And the people inside the gates got to hear about it and, and got, to, got to understand everything that was happening. So what should have happened? What should have happened is they trusted God. So when Assyria came, it would have been another version of Passover for them. They would have, the people that were not God's people would have been affected, but all of God's people would have had no problem, just like in the Passover. But that didn't happen. And then the terror was magnified. Verses 20 through 22. We see chapter 28 opened up, like I said, with that open question to Judah. Do you want to wind up like Samaria? Do you want to be like your cousins? Do you want to keep going the way you're going and be completely wiped out? And what did they do? So far, we see they refused God's word and broke his covenant. So what will be God's course of action in response to his people? Let's look. Verses 20 through 22. A strange sight. 20 
20 through 22, this strange sight. It says, For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused. And to do his work, alien is his work. Now therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord of God of hosts against the whole land. So 20, verse 20 is a play on the picture of rest from their oppressors in verse 12. This, this terror promised to them has removed their man-made security. It's removed it. And now they have made their own bed and they must lie on it. But the picture given to us is a bed too short and too uncomfortable to lie in. Because just imagine how a few short hours ago you were snuggled up in your bed and it was so comfortable. Your favorite blanket was around you and this is the picture that God is showing us. That he is un, he's leaving them unable to enjoy that time of peace and comfort and slumber. They're not going to get it. And the cities around Jerusalem fully got this because they were fully uncomfortable knowing that hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Assyrian troops were either there waiting to pounce on them or had already done it. Verse 21, For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to do his work, alien is his work. What is this meaning, God will rise up? And what strange deed is he going to do? Before that, let's take a look at God in this similar picture, this similar area when he was seen. We're going to see that, his previous de deeds that he did in that region. We're going to go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we're going to look at 5, 17 through 25. The first part of it, 17 to 21, we see David seeking God. Imagine that, David seeking God and saying, the Philistines have come to do battle with us. God, what do we do? Imagine that, a king in God's city saying, we want to know what to do. God tells him what to do. He says, go up, you'll whoop them. They do it. Now we get to 22 through 25. There's a second attempt. David comes up and says, God, they're here again. Will we be victorious? What do you want us to do? So let's pick it up there, verse 22. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, also known as the Mount Perizim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you 
to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So this was God on the battlefield in front of King David and moved down and advanced for his faithful people. This is that same area that talks about in this verse. So what makes this, what they're talking about this next act, a strange deed is Judah and their unfaithfulness, their unfaithfulness and the witness. So when these people look out, when they see their enemy there before them, the strange thing is going to be is they're going to look out and see God standing next to their enemy. If you could imagine that. Because we read David repeatedly defeated his enemies through his great faith and obedience to God, seeking out God before he ever went into battle, seeking his favor and his guidance. Then we have people here ignoring God, ignoring his advice, ignoring his commands to be obedient. And they're going to look out and the strange alien thing is God will not be with his people. He will be against them. The good thing verse 22 gives them is the escape clause. Verse 22 is the escape clause. Isaiah is saying, stop scoffing, which means kill the pride and arrogance you have. Kill it. And this next part actually means if you do not, your chains of punishment will become heavier. That's what that, lest your bonds be made strong. It'll actually mean your punishment will become heavier. Isaiah tells them, you know what? Destruction is coming. It's coming. He says, I've heard it from the mouth of God. It's coming, people. It's coming. But there is a time to repent. There's a time to repent. And Isaiah is telling them, the only way to flee from God is to flee to God. Think about this. When we see the kings and the rulers, they're attempting to flee God and hide from Him. We see this in Revelation 6.16. What do they tell it? They cry out to the mountains and the rocks and even probably 100-pound hailstones. Fall on me. Cover me. Take me out so God can't, can't get me. God says, you flee to Him. You do, not, you do not want to be on that battlefield, folks, and face off with the enemy and God standing with them. You don't want that. So here we, we look at verses 23 through 29. This other question. We start off the chapter with a specific question, and Isaiah closes it here with a question. And we know Samaria was overthrown because of its pride. Will Jerusalem fall as well? And Isaiah takes the approach here, much like Nathan the prophet did when he had to go to David. We see in 2 Samuel 12, and and this was deadly for a prophet, if you can imagine. Nathan went before King David had the unenviable task of telling him 
he was in sin for his actions with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. Nathan used a parable about a wealthy man who had a guest arrive, and he wanted to prepare these guests a meal from lamb. But he didn't use any of the hundreds of lambs in his own flock. Instead, in this parable, he took the only lamb of this poor man who's raised this lamb, and it was like a family pet or like a daughter to him. When King David heard this, he was furious. He was furious. And he said, that man must die. Then Nathan, in his next breath, and what could have been his last breath, said, that man is you, King David. And, and you sinned against God with your actions with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing that's hard to believe still is this man David repented and didn't ask for Nathan's head on a platter. So Isaiah is employing that same type of wisdom here. In verse 23, he says, Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. He's calling Jerusalem to stop, stop, hear the wisdom of God. 24, he says, does he who plow for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow the ground? Isaiah is asking him, does the farmer continually plow the ground? Verse 25 says, when he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put the wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as a border? Emmer is a type of Old Testament wheat, in case you're wondering what that is. 25 provides that answer, right? He says, no, the farmer does not continually do this backbreaking work. He plows, but he plows just enough just enough, then smartly and purposely, with a plan, places his crops in. Why does he do this? Why? Well, verse 26 tells him, for he is rightly instructed by God. His God teaches him. So that's the end of that parable. It shows that the rough activity of plowing the ground is not the sole activity. It has a purpose. It is to prepare the ground for the carefully planned sowing of seed into the ground. And what is this in relation to? It's relation to verses 1 through 6 that we have in 28. And the harsh and devastating judgment on Samaria. It was that intentional and carefully planned, it was intentionally and carefully planned but gives Judah a bit of hope that they may survive. The second parable is 26 through 29, and it's one of gathering in that smartly planned crop. The parable is showing us that each crop needs to be gathered and processed according to the crop, 
so it's not destroyed. The fifth parable covers 7 through 22. And this parable's questions are open-ended and implies that what happened to Samaria may not necessarily happen with Jerusalem. As with the farmer, God provides wonderful counsel and he acts with purposeful wisdom. It says, 27, Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cart rolled over the cumin. The dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for the bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horse, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So God's message he's giving his people is simple. He's saying to them in Deuteronomy 6, 13, 15, here's the wisdom. Do not go after other gods. In Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 10, verses 12, 13, and now Israel, what does your Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And then Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4 says, God will test you to see if you love him and obey him. And here they failed. Chapter 29 will answer this open question and we'll look at it next week. So stay tuned. So may we continue to seek God's wonderful counsel and grow in him and understand it's a simple message. It's a hard message, but we need to be firm in that faith above all else. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for your word and your message to us. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you have not made this hard. We just need to accept your message and strive to grow in it daily. We love you so much. Amen.